We're going to be reading in the ESV. Uh, so if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, those are ESVs. And uh, uh, we'll be doing a responsive reading, which means I'll read the first verse, and then we'll re- all respond with the verse after that. We'll keep going back and forth until the end. So uh, once you're ready to read the scripture today, if you could please uh, stand as able. Again, it's John chapter 21, verses 12 through 19. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. We are continuing in our uh, sermon series, Practical Discipleship. Today's message is called Unstuck. We're going to be talking in part about a very important topic in discipleship, one that uh, I have to confess uh, may not be the thing we like to talk about the most, but we're going to be talking about failure. <laughs> That's partially what this is. This passage is about uh, is about how Peter recovers from a major failure. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, or I, I guess it was last weekend, uh, we had this uh, Youth United retreat for uh, churches in Ann, Ar- in Ann Arbor. And uh, the, the guest speaker was a friend of mine, Pastor Sam Choi. And Pastor Sam Choi has become one of my best friends over the years. And I was trying to think, like, why uh, Pastor Sam and I are such good friends, because we, we met, I, I think we think it's been about three or four years ago, uh, but we talk every other week. Uh, uh, we, we, we share everything with each other. And um, it was actually, we invited him to come speak at a praise night. And uh, I remember this very distinctly. We went uh, to a Chipotle because he was hungry after I picked him up from the airport. And we just talked. And we talked and we talked and we talked. And I realized, um, you know, that whole weekend that we spent together, that this wasn't just, you know, a, a speaker who was coming in, that he really was a brother, you know, that he was someone who our hearts beat in similar ways, and he was somebody that I could really share my life with. And I was trying to, to, to remember, what was it that we talked about at Chipotle? <laughs> what was that conversation that really connected us? And to be honest, friends, we talked about our brokenness and our failure. And it's something that we don't like to talk about. One of the most common questions that they ask uh, in job interviews, and it's a question that, that people hate to answer, it's, it's two, right? They say, uh, what are your greatest weaknesses, 
right? Some of you guys are smiling. You've been asked that question. You're like, man, how do you answer that? It's a trap, right? Or what is your greatest failure? Sometimes they'll ask you both. And there's all kinds of advice. You know, you can go on Google and they'll give you all kinds of advice, like how to answer this question to kind of spin it so it sort of like makes you look good, you know? But this is the thing. This is why it's so hard for us to answer. We've spent so much time and energy covering up our failures. Many of us, we don't even like to face the fact that we fail, you know? What what would you think if we just took a good portion of this morning's message and um, I, I just asked you, hey, turn to the person next to you and I want you to share right now, what is a way that you have failed in this past week? Okay, go ahead. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do it right now. But you're going to do it in your small groups. <laughs> it's one of the small group questions. <laughs> Friends, so, so this is the thing. I seriously think you can tell people your successes and it really doesn't do anything. But if you share with other people your failures, it has a way of really helping people to, to grow close. Why? Because you're getting real. You know what I mean? Like, it's so easy to just, like, tell people about the stuff that you want them to see, to kind of dress yourself up, to make yourself look better. But the real stuff of life is failure, right? And so often, because we don't talk about it, that when someone shares with you honestly, not in a way where it's like, like it's kind of like a reverse brag. They want you to know like just how miserable their life is so you feel sorry for them. Not that kind of sharing failure. But you're just honestly sharing something that's been really hard and difficult. Man, you're like, dude, that's real. Dude, you didn't have to share that with me. That, that's, that's, wow, that's like an honor actually that you would share something so vulnerable. You know, as a way of kind of really drawing us in. And, um, you know, because for many of us, we don't talk about it. We don't deal with it. Um, and, you know, for, for many of us, too, the idea of failure or not just failure, but I think there are things in life where you just get stuck. You know, I, I find this for many people in the Christian life. We don't deal well with failure, but there are other things, too where you just get stuck. You can't move forward. You were going well, and then something happened, and then either stop following Christ or you take some very serious steps back. What is that in your life? I want to share with you what that was for Peter. And uh, this is actually the beginning of John 21. Um, that uh, we didn't read this part of John 21, but I think it's it, useful for us to take a look at it. So if you guys still have your Bibles open, uh, just look at the very beginning of John 21. Um, so this is verse 2. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Mmm. Some meaningful stuff, huh? (laughs) You're like, wait, what? They just went fishing. Guys, think about it. What happened when Jesus called Peter? Do you guys remember? We actually went over this a few weeks ago. Because we were talking about, you know, disciples and how they begin to follow Jesus. Do you remember? Do you guys remember? They were fishing. They weren't successful. Jesus told them to cast their nets out into deeper water. They did. They caught lots of fish. Peter's like, oh my gosh, I'm a sinful man. He's like, yeah, I know, but come follow me. 
I will make you fishers of men. Not fishers of fish, fishers of men. So what did the disciples do? You guys remember? They dropped everything. They left them behind and they went and followed Jesus. What the heck is going on? Peter, right? After the resurrection, after all this stuff happened. You know, uh, actually, we didn't read this part, but Jesus had appeared to them twice before. Um, and, and when he did, he breathes on them. He sends them the Holy Spirit. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. Now go forgive people. Go and do my work. And then Peter's like, I'm going fishing. So in other words, Peter is going back to something familiar. He's a fisherman, right? Something that he left behind when Jesus called him. And basically, at this point, he's like, okay, it's done. It's over. I'm not a fisher of men anymore. Therefore, I'm going to go back to something I know. I'm going to go back and be a fisher of fish, right? The funny thing is, is that it doesn't need to be over. But for Peter, it seems like he's giving up. It seems like he's regressing. He's taking a step back, right? Why? Why? What is Peter's last interaction with Jesus? You guys remember? He denies him three times, right? Something that Jesus predicted would happen. Something that Peter swore up and down he would never do. If everyone else fell behind, he would not fall behind. But he does it. In some of the stories, there's like a little servant girl. And, and Peter's warming himself by the fire. And she's like, hey, hey, you're a Galilean. I noticed the accent. You're with Jesus. I saw you. And they're like, and, and Peter's like, no, no, I don't know Jesus. And remember, Jesus told them this was going to happen. But when push came to shove, when he's actually living his life, not at church and being like, I will follow. He's not singing a song, right? That's like, you know, I will build my life upon your love. You know, he's not singing the song. You know, he's not doing it with, surrounded by all the disciples. He's here on his own in real life, warming himself by a fire. And he fails three times. He denies Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but for, for many of us, I think when we fail, it, it doesn't inspire us to, to, to want to you know, go back and try again. Failure has this way of making you want to run, right? Making you feel like, not only did I fail, but I'm a failure. I can't show my face in public anymore. Maybe this has happened to you. Before, you know, you do something embarrassing in class. You're like, dude, I'm not going back to that class. You know, I don't know. You met a new group of people and you said something really stupid. And you're like, dude, I'm, I'm never seeing those people again. <laughs> right. I'm just going to avoid them. Why? Why do we have that, that, that reaction? Man, there have been countless books written about failure. And they usually center on this thing that failure doesn't have to be something negative, that you can actually use it in positive ways. But they all acknowledge the fact that for most of us, failure, it's it's a huge setback. It's something that, that makes you want to run in the opposite direction. And that's exactly what happens to Peter, right? And to run back to something familiar, 
to something easy to grab for, right? You know, for Peter, it was fishing. For me, for Pastor Steve, oftentimes it's video games. (laughs) I don't know. What is it for you? So watching YouTube videos? Maybe it's like, you know, a habit where... Like maybe a habit that you know isn't even good for you, but you do it because it's comforting. I don't know. Maybe there's some people who who smoked before. You're able to give up smoking, but then you fail. You get fired something. You don't get into the college you want to get into. You don't get into med school. Then all of a sudden you're like, dude, I really want to smoke. Why? Why? There's something where we reach for the familiar When we face this kind of stuckness, we reach for the stuff that it's actually very low energy for you to do these things. You may not even really um, make a a huge active choice to do it. You kind of fall back into it, right? Some of you, you go and take a nap because that's very low energy, right? So easy. I'm just going to flop over. I'm just feeling so defeated right now in life. I'm just feeling so stuck. I don't know what to do. It's like the exact opposite of what you should be doing. You feel stuck by that test you're supposed to take. You're thinking about how hard the other test was. You're thinking about your grade. You're like, oh my gosh, I might fail. So the logical thing would be to study more, right? But the thing you want to do so desperately is just to jump into bed, right? Fall into bed, right? You reach for this, these things, this low-hanging fruit. We are just like Peter. All of us are like this. And for many people in the Christian life, there are many things that trip us up. And it gets us stuck. What we want to talk about today is how we get unstuck. And this is a story of uh, exactly that. So brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, if there's any of you who've tried to follow Christ, maybe for some of you, you've been doing some of these habits and, and, and To be honest, I had actually thought about doing this message first. Before we talked about any habits, to to just talk about failure first. Because I'm like, dude, you're going to fail, right? But I thought, you know, let's try some habits first. How's it gone for you? Maybe some of you, you know, past couple weeks we've been talking about spending time with God in silence and solitude. We've been talking about meditating upon scripture We've been talking about these things that we know would be good for us. And maybe some of y'all were really juiced to do it. Maybe even the first day you did it. Maybe you're like me, where a couple years ago, uh, uh, the uh, Pastor Cho, the previous senior pastor, challenged me to pray one hour every day. I was so juiced to do it. I was like, man, you know, I'm going to do this. This is going to be good. I'm going to really learn how to pray. You know, I didn't really have a solid discipline of prayer. And so I was like, okay, I really want to learn. So going to do it. Maybe you're like me. You're like, yeah. You know, you're hyping yourself up like before a big game. You're just like, ah, let's go. Let's pray. Ah, let's read some scripture. You charge out a Sunday after the benediction. You know, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And you're like, yeah. Ah. And you're like me. And you go out. And you're like, okay, let's do this. Let's pray. First day, about two minutes in, I fall asleep. I'm being serious. This is exactly what happened. Next day, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it again. Next day, I'm like, okay, God, it's me, and I'm here to... The whole first week, I slept every single time. 
I don't think I got past the 15-minute mark. And I was so defeated. I'll be honest. I didn't try for like another three months. What did I do instead? I went fishing. (laughs) Right? I did stuff that was familiar. I did stuff that was easy. I did the stuff that felt good. Don't judge me. I think a lot of us do that, don't we? And I'm not here to judge you if you failed. That's the first message that I want to share with you. So that maybe you've tried some of this stuff, and it it feels pretty bad to fail. You know, you're like, man, I I, I thought I could do it. A couple weeks ago, I challenged you, can you just do one of these habits for two minutes? I mean, then we don't have an excuse. This idea that you don't have time, you can do anything for two minutes, right? I mean, seriously, I, I think they say something like insane about the number of thousands of times you pick up your phone every day. I mean, come on. It's not always something productive, right? You know, I mean, we waste so much time. It's about habits, right? So I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to point out the fact that we haven't been able to do it. And oftentimes it feels bad. Even that two minutes, were you able to do it? Even though you can, you have the ability, you have the time. But for many of us, we fail. So what do you do with that? What, What does Peter, what does Jesus do with Peter's failure? Peter Jesus meets Peter, and he throws him off the boat. No, that's not what happens. (laughs) Actually, what happens is very similar to the first story of Peter um, fishing. Same thing. They don't catch anything. I'm sensing a pattern. Peter just doesn't seem to be the best fisherman in the world. I don't know. (laughs) But he doesn't catch anything again. And Jesus, same thing. He's like, hey, why don't you catch your net on the other side of the boat? They catch so many fish. Their nets are breaking. We're told they catch 153 fish. And they're, they're hauling it on, uh, onto shore. And when they get on shore, Jesus is already waiting for them by a fire, by a coal-burning fire. Do you know where is the last time there was a coal-burning fire? When was the last time Peter was in front of a coal-burning fire? As far as we know when he was in the courtyard, when Jesus was under arrest, and he denied Jesus three times. This is not a mistake. This is a setup. (laughs) This is a setup for restoration. And so here we see Jesus says to them, come, have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, now, it's just there. It's just obvious. I'm not pulling this out of nowhere. When's the last time Jesus had bread with Peter? Peter claimed at the Last Supper when he broke bread with Jesus, the last meal he had with him, right? We call it the Last Supper, right? He claimed that he would follow Jesus no matter what, even when Jesus predicted. It was there that Jesus predicted that he would deny him three times. And we're told this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead, the third time. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, this is a great uh, uh, topic of debate. 
What does Jesus mean by these? More than these. So there are three options. I actually read this uh, paper, very geeky uh, paper, kind of examining the Greek. And the word for then, that comparison word, there are a couple different words you can use in Greek. One would specify whether you are talking about, you know, stuff or people. But Jesus doesn't use that word. He uses the general word. So we don't know. There are three options, that, that three things that he could mean. He could be talking about literally more than these, like he's pointing to the fish, right? The catch of fish that they just brought onto shore. He could be pointing to the fishing equipment, right? Do you love me more than you love the thing you fell back into? The thing that's familiar, the thing that you could choose instead of me. You could go fishing for fish or you could fish for people. Which one is it? Which one do you love more? Another uh, common interpretation is that he's, he's saying, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Now, you got to insert a couple more words there, but that could be implied. Do you love me more than these guys love me? Which kind of calls back, remember, at the Last Supper when Jesus said, even if everyone else falls away, I will not. I will love you more. I will be more devoted. So this could be Jesus' way of calling back to that. Do you really think you love me more than these? There's a third option. He could just be saying, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? I'll be honest, friends. Most scholars don't even consider this possibility, but it's very possible in the Greek. It's just not clear. He could just be saying, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? And most scholars will say, Come on, Jesus is telling us to love people. Why would he start comparing loves? I think this might be why. Because Peter cares so much about what other people think, doesn't he? Yeah? With the people gathered behind, uh, around the fire, and they're like, oh, you were with Jesus. He's like, no, I wasn't. He cares so much about what other people think, Right? And so maybe Jesus is like, do you love me more than you love the opinion of other people? Do you love me more than you love being esteemed by your colleagues? Right? Because if you're going to go do this thing, people are going to hate you. So do you love me more than you love people? And so he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And and. If you've ever heard me preach on this passage before, you know that the words for love in the Greek are different when Jesus says it and when Peter says it. When Jesus says it, he uses the word we most commonly associate with Christian love, agape, agapas, do you love me? With the love of decision, with the love that is not determined by whether you like someone or not, whether you feel like it, you're gonna do it. And then... Peter responds, phileo, right? Like Philadelphia, right? Brotherly love, fondness. So Jesus says, do you love me with the love of decision? And and Peter responds, I like you, Jesus. I'm fond of you, right? And, And not only that, he says, yes, you know that I'm fond of you. What is Peter saying? He's like, Jesus, I'm not even going to front. You know how I failed you. I don't love you with agape love. I couldn't go there. 
I like you, I'm fond of you, I want to follow you, but I haven't been able to do it. That's all the subtext going on, right? So much going on. And then Jesus launches into this whole thing, and he's like, Jonathan, or Peter, before the heavens and earth were created, I knew you, and I loved you. I forgive you, and I commissioned you. He doesn't say any of that, right? He doesn't say any of that, right? He just says, feed my lambs, right? Let's see it again, okay? It's just... Man, this is like, there's so much stuff going on. We, we got to see it again. Um, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agapas. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo. And then he says, dear Peter, I forget. No, he just says, tend my sheep. That's it. Right? And then he says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Mm, oh my gosh. Jesus doesn't say agapas here. You know what he says? He flips it. He says, Simon, son of John, Phileis, are you fond of me? You use that word, I'll use that word. And then it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Phileis. I I like to point this out because we usually say that, that he's grieved because Jesus said it three times which I'm sure some of that is there. But that's actually not what it says. It doesn't say that he was grieved because he said it three times. It says he was grieved because the third time he changed it. And he said, Phileis, he said, are you fond of me? And he says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. You know that I can't love you faithfully with decision, with will, you know, when, when all the chips are down, when I'm stressed, when people are, are uh, uh, you know, uh, I care about what other people think, you know that I haven't been able to love you in that way. So I'm just fond of you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Look at Jesus' response. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. What is the difference? I've looked. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you, you could get really technical. Like, if you look at the Greek, feed versus ten versus lamb versus sheep, it, it's all pretty much the same. Jesus' answer is always the same. Brothers and sisters, Jesus never uses the words, I forgive you. It's implied. I mean, Jesus said it on the cross, right? When he's on the cross and people are laughing at him and mocking him, He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Of course he forgives us. He told us he came here for the forgiveness of sins. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. We know that he forgives Peter, but he never actually says it. What is going on here? Friends, I think a lot of us, we get very caught up with a lot of different things. And for many of us, what we think, just going to, oh, you do okay. Um, we have this myth of the grand gesture. Does anyone know what this movie is from? It's called Say Anything. It's a great 80s movie. Um, the grand gesture is the idea that if you want to tell someone that you're sorry, if, if you want someone to forgive you, if you want someone to take you back, the way you do it is you have to prove your love. And so in Say Anything, uh, it's about this guy who's... Uh, 
He's in love with this girl that is beyond his reach. She's going to go to Harvard. She's like really, really smart. And he's just blue collar guy. Right. And, and he like basically is like, Oh, you think you're too good for me. And so of course they have this very dramatic, you know, falling, uh, uh, they, they fall out. Right. And the way that he gets her back is in the morning. This is like, like, you know, butt crack of dawn. It's early morning and she wakes up and she hears this song. In your eyes, na 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 na, your eyes, da da da, and she's like, "What? What is this? Is my radio on? My radio's not on." She looks out the window, and she sees this fool with a boombox over his head. You guys know what a boombox is? <laughs> okay, this is what we had before <laughs> iPhones and played music. They had cassettes. Anyways, he's got this boombox. They were very heavy as part of it, right? He's got this thing over his head. And they play the whole song. If you go watch the clip on YouTube, it's very uncomfortable. He doesn't say anything. She's like, what are you doing? He's just like, your eyes, dun-dun-dun, your eyes. And he just stares at her. It's the grand gesture. You guys know the grand gesture, don't you? Man, I know some people. I actually knew someone who tried this with a girl. Didn't work out. I knew a guy uh, who, uh, he, he broke up with his girlfriend, and uh, he was, like, so kind of distraught about this. He was like, oh, shoot, I made a mistake. I need to win her back. So you know what he did? This is a true story. He went into her lecture at Michigan, walked in with his guitar, right? Professor is, is lecturing, right? Walks in, in the front and just starts playing the guitar. And the, the professor's like, the hell are you doing, right? He's like, he's like turning red, but he just keeps playing. He keeps singing. And the professor's like, dude, I'm going to need you to stop. He just keeps going. And he sings the whole song. And the professor's like, all right, whatever. Dude, this guy saw say anything. He's, he's, you know, he just kind of lets him go. And he plays the whole song. And everyone claps, right? They're like, woo! 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 Girl doesn't take him back. They, 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 yeah, they never dated. He married someone else. She married someone else. Happy ending. <laughs> we think that we're supposed to have some kind of grand gesture, that this is the way you get into someone's heart, right? You're supposed to say something impressive. Sometimes the grand gesture you see in a lot of romantic comedies, it's not just what you do, but it's also what you say. You use the right words, right? Have any of you seen this horrible, horrible movie? I'm sorry, I'm going to fight you. It's a horrible movie. It's called Notting Hill. Dude, this movie sucks. It's terrible. And, and the reason why it's terrible is because there's this woman who's this, uh, she's this famous actress. It's always like, yeah, it's like imbalance, right? Class imbalance. So romantic. You know, there's an actress who falls in love with like this ordinary dude. And, and so basically, like when she's in front of like all her actor friends, she just blows this guy off, treats him like garbage, right? And then basically she treats this guy like trash. But at the end of the movie, she, she, she goes to meet him, and she looks at him, and she's like, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. And everyone goes, that was such a great line. Oh, my gosh, it was such a great line. And you're like, take him back. Take him back. And, of course, he does, right? Because it's a movie. But the reason why this movie is trash is because she treated him like garbage the entire time. One word, it makes everything better, 
No, that's not how it works. But I think for many of us, this is the way we treat our relationship with God. We think we have to make a grand gesture. I knew someone that after they decided to follow Jesus, they made a grand gesture. They took all of their, again, this is a long time ago. This is the 80s. They took all their secular cassette tapes. You guys know what a cassette tape is? Before the iPhone, we played these things on tape. So he got his entire cassette tape collection, and he lit it on fire for the Lord. Lord, I sacrifice this to you. It's a grand gesture, right? I will never do this again, you know? And, and we make these grand gestures, and we think, you know, you're supposed to got, have a lot of tears. You're supposed to feel really sorry. You get down on your hands and knees. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And Jesus is like, feed my sheep. <laughs> get up. Go feed my sheep. The stuckness that Jesus wants to fix, this is exactly what Jesus wants. He wants you to get unstuck. You don't really care about these grand gestures if they don't result in actual life change. So Jesus' answer to all of this is, I forgive you. It's implied. It's implicit. He doesn't even say it, right? You're forgiven. Now, therefore, go and do simple acts of love. You go forward and you do simple acts of love. For many of us, we get so stuck on all these things, right? We, we get stuck, we get stuck, we get stuck. And brothers and sisters, I think that for a lot of us, you know, we, we, we've got so many things going on in our souls, in our minds. And it prevents us from moving forward. So this is the thing. Um, Michael A. Singer, in this book, The Untethered Soul, he talks about this idea of stuckness. Because if you think about it, we as human beings are, are always processing information. You're intaking so much information, right, all the time. And, and you're not supposed to notice it all, right? It just kind of passes through you and you move on with life, even good stuff, right? Maybe you eat a good meal and you're just like, man, that was really good. Okay, then you move on. That's the way life is supposed to work. That's how you flow. That's how you move forward, right? You're not supposed to be thinking about the steak you had last Friday on Sunday morning when you're listening to the sermon or when you're at work and you're supposed to be working, right? You're not like, dude, I can't concentrate because that steak was, mm. it just passes right through you. That's by design, right? You had a good time with your friends on Friday. You're not supposed to be thinking about that and obsessing about that. Or you got in a fight with someone or you failed, Whatever it is, there are certain things in life that stop you, right? Most stuff, you just process it, you experience it, and then you move on. It just passes right through you, right? And you move on with life. Every now and then, something will get stuck, right? Like like there's an experience. I don't know. Maybe someone, you know, bumps into you at the supermarket. Like it's an accident, right? Now, for some people, that's no big deal. But for me... I get stuck. When I'm at a, a four-way stop and someone goes when it's not their turn, it like sets me back in my discipleship a couple years. I, I, like seriously, I get so enraged. I just keep replaying it and I get so mad and angry. I'm like, it's not your turn. It's not your turn, man. You saw me. You, you, oh, you think your time is better than mine. It, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Now, brothers and sisters, this is the thing. For some people, that's happened to you, and you're like, ah, annoying. But then you move on. It passes right through you. You don't get stuck. You keep moving forward. 
But for some of you, other things get you stuck. There could be something. I don't know. Maybe you didn't study enough for a test, and you feel like you should have, and you get stuck there. You think about it. You replay it. You rehearse it in your mind. Like, man, why, why didn't I do that? Or you don't. What you do is you actually run from it. You go and you do what? You go fishing, don't you? Right? You go play a video game. You, you go to bed. You do these things to get your mind off of it. Not because you're getting over it, but because you're running from it, just like Peter. Peter's not over it. It's very clear in this, because this is the thing. If Peter ran and went fishing and he was over it, and Jesus looks at him and he's like, do you love me? He'd be like, agape, <laughs> I love you, I got you, I'll do this. But he's like, phileo, he ain't over it. It's stuck. He's stuck. He can't move forward. Jesus is like, go out and, and preach the gospel and go forgive people. And Peter can't do it. He can't move forward. Right? These things, they demand time and energy. They steal energy from you. Right? And for many of us, we cannot move forward because it's like these things are getting stuck in you. They're like thorns. Or it's like, like, you know, sticky stuff that is holding you back. It's keeping you from moving forward in your Christian life. And one of the most important things for us to do is to get unstuck. It is a principle that we talk about. Um, sorry, we're, we're actually not going to do this. Uh, we're, it's the principle of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a place where God is completely in control. You don't got to handle it. You don't have to make it work. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to get the job. You don't have to worry about whether people are going to like you. Why? Because God's got everything. What does it mean that people don't like you? What does it mean that people that you don't get the job? We think that our lives are going to fall apart, so we think we're responsible for it. So we get stuck on these many, many things, right? But if we seek first the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a place of no anxiety. It's a place where you don't have to worry, where you are completely free. Do you think you get stuck in the kingdom of God? There's no stuckness here, right? Do you remember the story with uh, Jesus and Martha and Mary? Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. One thing is needed. One focus. This is the way we work as human beings. When we got lots of things going on, we, we worry about lots of things. You can't focus on the things that are most important because just our attention is everywhere. But when you're in the kingdom of God mindset, there's no worries. It's a place of freedom. Some of y'all maybe aren't really sure what I'm talking about here. Have you ever been in a place where you could just focus on loving someone else? Like seriously, you could just focus on loving someone else. There's just no other concern. You're free. Not like, how do I look? How's my hair? How's my breath? You know, not like, oh my gosh, I got this test coming up, but you're just looking at the person you love and you're just focusing on them. Have you ever been in a place like that? Or you're looking at the beauty of God's creation. You're at a sunset and you're just looking at it and there's just that one thing, just that sunset. You're like, God, thank you. You're not like, oh my gosh, I got to do my taxes. Oh my gosh, what what that test? Ah." You're just one thing, one thing. 
Or you're in worship and your hands are up and you're singing these songs about how great Jesus is. Just one thing. You're free. You're free. You're not getting stuck. That's the kingdom of God. Focus on getting there. How? Then, then to me, I think one of the most important things is what are the things that are bothering you? That's what Dallas Willard says. The most important discipleship question you can ask is what is bothering you? This is the reason why so many of us don't move forward in discipleship, why we don't share real stuff in our small groups and nothing happens in your small groups. We just have the same old small groups over and over again because we're not sharing the stuff that's getting us stuck for a variety of reasons. We're not sharing the stuff that really matters. We're not facing that stuff. That's the most important thing. Can you just do what? Focus on one thing, right? And then Jesus reiterates it in case you didn't get it. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. All the stuff, whether you're going to get the promotion, whether or not people are going to like you, whether or not you're going to ha- have enough food to eat or all this stuff. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for this day is its own trouble. In other words, just be in the moment. Free. Right? That is the unstuck life. That's where Jesus wants us to be. So, brothers and sisters, just kind of like going with all this stuff, um, I want to share with you what I call the principle of forward momentum. And the principle of forward momentum is, it's very simple. It's the idea that once you get stuck, once you get stopped, right, it's just physics. It's harder to get going, right? We talk about like, you know, a ball that's rolling, (laughs) an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless a force gets applied to it. Just much easier to stay in motion. And so what happens when you get stuck is something stops you. You get offended, right? You're annoyed, right? You don't like what that person said. You don't like that person's face, right? There's something that gets you stuck. You made a mistake. You feel like you failed your family, right? All of this stuff, it gets you stuck. And then it's the record scratch, right? Everything stops. And then in order to get going again, it takes a lot of effort. Man, how long would a Peter stayed there fishing? Jesus didn't come and get him. I don't know. How far does your stuckness go? I know there's some people, because they failed at some point in the discipleship, they never want to try again. There's some people who try to serve God, and maybe they become a leader at church. And then someone criticizes their Bible study, or someone talks crap about them behind their back. And they're like, I'm walking away from this whole church thing. I'm never doing this again, right? The principle of forward momentum is the idea of how do we get ourselves to keep moving forward, right? And the first step is forgive yourself, right? It seems so so obvious and, and simple, but brothers and sisters, I hear so many people who say crap like, I mean, it's not crap, but you know what I mean. They, they say stuff like, God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. What good is that then? Yeah, God can forgive you, but if you don't forgive yourself, then you can't move forward, right? When you keep replaying these things in your mind over and over and over, and brothers and sisters, I mean, you blink and you miss it. Where was Jesus' forgiveness in this passage? You know where it was? It was implied. It was implied. It wasn't even said out loud, but I will tell you this. If Peter couldn't forgive himself, he could not move forward. So it was implied in all of this. Right? And so, brothers and sisters, take it from Jesus, take it from Peter by what is not said. Forgive yourself quickly. You don't need a grand gesture. 
right? You, you don't need to go to a retreat to do it. Do it on the moment. The moment you become conscious again, you did that thing you know you, you weren't supposed to do. You did that thing moving backwards. You, you procrastinated. And this is what most of us would do. We're like, man, I shouldn't have procrastinated. I'm going to go procrastinate some more because I feel bad. Man, I shouldn't have procrastinated again. I'm going to procrastinate more because I feel bad. Man, I shouldn't have procrastinated. Right? It never ends until you forgive yourself. you got to forgive yourself because that stuckness is what is causing you to fall back into fishing, to fall back into whatever just makes you feel better in that moment. But it doesn't solve the overall problem. It doesn't help you move forward, right? Step two, reprioritize your love for God. Do you love me more than these? Right? That's an important question. I don't want to gloss over that. We said that there are many possibilities of what that thing means. But for some of us in that moment, all we're thinking about is, I just want to feel better. You know? And, and, and we don't prioritize the things that will actually get you unstuck. We don't re- prioritize the thing that is most important. Your love for God. Do you love me? Because I love you. And I want to give you a meaningful life. Right? I want you to know this love again. I want you to live for love. That is the most meaningful life. And for many of us, we, we start living for things that aren't as meaningful when we get stuck, when we are unconscious, when we are in pain, right? We fall back into addictions. We are not our best self in those moments, right? So to reprioritize your love for God, to remember that God loves you first. He forgave you before you even said anything. But you didn't need to do a grand gesture. He did the grand gesture. The cross is a grand gesture. And all you got to do is receive it every time. It's just there, right? And remember that love again. Remember what all of this is about, right? And and, in many times when you can reprioritize the love of God, put that first as a way of focusing you. When, when we get stuck, we become very, very myopic. Like, like our vision gets very, very small. And it gets very, very focused on just ourselves and our pain and the thing that's right in front of us. It's just ourselves, our pain, and the thing that's going to make the pain better. You can't see the big picture. The love of God has a way of making your vision bigger. Hey, you know what? In this moment, I really, really want to go watch that porn right now. In this moment right now, I want to go eat a tub of ice cream. Right now, I want to take a nap. But the, the love of God helps you see the bigger view to say, that's not what I really want. That's not what life is really about. I may feel like doing it. But if you can reprioritize the love of God, maybe it can help you to see that doing the thing you feel like doing may not be helpful at all. It might just get you more stuck. And so then the third step, very simple, is very, very simple. But move forward in simple obedience, a simple obedience. What is something you can do to just get moving, right? Like Jesus said, with no fanfare at all. Okay, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, do something simple. He doesn't say, go and give your life for me. He doesn't say that. It's implied that Peter will. He's like, yes, if you keep following me, you will be faithful to the end. But that day has not come. Right right now, all I ask you to do is just do one thing. Move forward, right? Just get up and do something. And so, brothers and sisters, the idea of just getting moving, 
For some of y'all who have been depressed, for some of y'all who have just been like so stuck in bad habits, you know this, or hopefully you will learn this. You need to hear this, that when you get stuck, sometimes the best thing to do is to do something, anything. It's not going to be what you feel like doing, but to just do what you can in that moment. For some people who are like really depressed, like seriously, they won't get out of bed. And they won't even like take a shower. And for some of them, the, the first step is seriously go and turn the water on, take off your clothes, and put yourself in the shower. Whereas for some people, I don't want to do it. I just want to, I want to sleep. Life is awful. Dude, something happens. You, you go there in that water. I mean, you're like getting baptized again, right? The grime is coming off, right? You just start feeling better. Okay, we can do this. Okay, what else are we going to do? All right, let's go get a nutritious meal. Let's go pray. Let's go look for a job. One foot in front of the other. The most important step is the first one. How do you get moving? I have just some very, very simple advice. This is not legalistic. This is just what's worked in my life. Your life might be different. Um, but for me, listening to a gospel-centered song, if I really get a funk, I get really stuck, I'm just feeling horrible. Like, like the stuff where it's like, I want to quit life right now. I, I want to like blow up my family, not blow up my family, but like, like, like I'm going to leave, right? I'm going to go to Alaska. I'm going to, yeah, sorry, bad choice of words. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to quit the ministry, right? Like those moments of insanity that have these thoughts. Sometimes I'm like, yo, I just need to hear a song that reminds me that Jesus loves me. I just need that song right now. Right? I, I just need the song that reminds me it's not about me. Christ already did it. He already did it for me. He already won the victory. I just need to, to hear that again. It's just soak in it and just listen to it. Just really listen to it. You know? Maybe stop the car for a moment. Just listen to the song. You know? Another step that I do sometimes is go for a prayer walk. I know I talked a lot about silence and stillness. But sometimes you're not there yet. You can't be still yet. But just go for a walk. It's movement. It's motion. Go for a walk, and, and, and it can be a prayerful walk. You're doing it with God. You can even tell God just very simply, in very simple words, God, I'm having the suckiest week. God, I'm feeling really stuck. God, I know you forgive me. Can you forgive me again? God, I, I don't like who I am right now. Whatever it is, to do, just do it. And, and hopefully you can do it surrounded by some nature. You're reminded that God takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, and he will take care of you too, right? That the sun is shining on the righteous and on the, the unrighteous. Even for you in your unrighteousness, sun's still shining. God's grace is still there, right? Another thing is to journal an SFD, what I'm going to call a crappy first draft. You will notice the C it's not an S, so you can draw your own conclusions about what the S actually is. This was re- recommended by a writer who had uh, writer's block. This is how it, so you get stuck in writer's block. And a lot of times, writer's block, it's just this mental jumble. You're like, dude, my writing sucks. You know, I'm never going to get published. What am I even doing with my life? And they can't get past it. And every time they try to write something, this is like, this is garbage, right? And so what the SFD is, the crappy first draft, it's about just writing something. It's just about motion. Just get going, right? And so the reason why it's called an SFD is you know it's going to be bad. You give yourself permission to write something bad, but the whole thing is just by writing, you're getting unstuck. 
right? And so the SFD, when it comes to your emotional state, is if you're having a really crappy day, just write that down. I got to tell you, I've done this and it's helpful, but I will tell you, I'm just going to be really real with you. I never felt like doing it. I always felt like going fishing, right? And every time I'm like, dude, I'm so mad. I'm so angry and I kind of hate myself right now. I'm like, dude, I remember that SFD thing. Let's, let's do it. And I, I have to like pick myself up off the ground, go over, and I just start writing. I write SFD at the beginning, and that's a way of giving myself permission to write something really crappy. Sometimes it's a profanity. I don't want anyone to ever read my SFDs. They're, they're just really gross, right? But the point is to just get out what you are feeling. Don't hide from it. Don't run from it. Just, just let it get out on paper, right? And in, in many ways, brothers and sisters, just having crappy prayers, doing crappy discipleship, don't be good at it. Be bad at it. But do it. Get going. It doesn't matter if you're good at it. You'll get better. But you got to get moving. It's the principle of forward momentum, right? And the last thing, and this is probably the hardest thing. Maybe you need to do a couple of these other steps. Bless someone else. Take, take the focus off yourself for a moment. Go pray for someone else, right? Don't pray about yourself for a moment. Pray for someone else. Go do something nice for someone else. Maybe, you know, go volunteer at a soup kitchen or, or, or go do something really nice where, like, you're at Starbucks and you pay for the person behind you. You know, do something where it becomes about that simple act of love. What is the way that Jesus told Peter to get unstuck? Feed my sheep. Very simple. He didn't tell him exactly what to do. It's not a legalistic thing. Just do something to bless someone else. Take the focus off yourself and make it about someone other than yourself. Bless someone else. And what we find for many, many people, when you do that, when you can make it about someone else, you automatically start feeling better. You automatically start getting unstuck because you're not just stuck in this little circle where the world just revolves around you and your problems, right? So, uh, Praise him, if you can come up. We're just going to read this uh, scripture. Just so you know, I'm not making this stuff up, right? It's biblical. Not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, one thing I do, one thing I do, one thing I do. He only says it once. I just want you to hear it. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, if, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Can we pray with me, friends? You know what you have attained? You have attained righteousness in Christ. Jesus already died for you. He rose from the dead. He overcame uh, your sin. He, He did that already. And what we are asked to do is to move forward in simple obedience. So maybe let's just take a moment and not just pray, but just to take a moment to rest in this knowledge. God loves you. Jesus has died for you. You are forgiven. You can live in this freedom. You can live in the kingdom. The other stuff will work itself out. But what you need to do is move forward in Christ. Move forward in forgiveness. 
forward in freedom towards simple love towards God and neighbor. God, I pray this over each and every person that we may have this freedom, that we may know that you need us exactly as you find us, but you want to make us better than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.